Have you ever noticed a loved one progressively struggling with their memory language and thinking? Do you wonder if they might be at the onset of dementia? Or do you know anybody experiencing dementia already and wonder how you can help them? Or even, are you already a caregiver and feel overwhelmed with what this entitles to? Join me after the intro for a conversation with a very special guest who will help us answering this and many more questions. Stay tuned. Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you feel unhappy but not completely sure what that is? Do you hold a grudge towards someone for something they did which affects you and the way you live your life? Have you ever told someone, I forgive you, but in reality you were not completely over what happened? Why is this so difficult? to truly forgive. How do we forgive? And can anything and anyone be forgiven? Hi, my name is Rosanna D and I'm the host of the Forgiven Tribe Show. This is a safe and not judgmental place for sharing opinions and challenging experiences where the practice of forgiveness helped individuals to get unstuck and create a much more fulfilling life than they had before. Join me in this exciting journey to unveil how you too can have the life you deserve. Simply click the subscribe button below to receive notification about future episodes. Welcome to the Forgiven Try Show. According to the World Health Organization, the total number of people in the world living with dementia is currently 50 million and is projected to reach 82 million in 2030 and a staggering 152 million by 2050. These figures don't account for all people that are and will be affected by dementia, the family members and caregivers who deal with some true cruel stages of their loved one's disease. And unfortunately, most of the diseases associated with dementia are incurable and cannot be reversed. A diagnosis of dementia can be a devastating blow for any family. So today we want to talk about dementia, how it affects us and what it means caring for someone suffering for this terrible disease. And we are joining this uh, conversation by Carolyn Beadle, who is uh, uh, in Idaho in the US. Shortly after retiring in 2006, Carolyn began caring for her aging mother, going through dementia, started journaling this uh, journey what began as a written collection of her mother's difficult behaviors during the early stages of dementia quickly turned into a comprehensive book that she continued to update until the inevitable end of her mother's disease. This book has been recently published with the title Walking with Faye, My Mother's Uncharted Path into Dementia. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome to the Forgiven Try Show. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to be here, Rosanna. Thank you. So, Karen, I just mentioned just a few things about uh, you and your story, and you just published a beautiful uh, book that has been uh, very well received. Can we start from there, from you and uh, your journey into dementia through your mom's uh, story? Sure. Um, my journey began when I started noticing changes, um, changes that I tried to ignore, and I was successful ignoring them for 
a, a number of years actually in the very earliest stages that are the most difficult to detect. Um, it, turned, it turned more serious when um, her sheriff called me to let me know that she was driving on the wrong side of the road and that he had gotten many phone calls. And I also received a call from the Department of Family Services when my mother um, ended up in the hospital her hairdresser found her because she had missed her appointment and she needed to have five days of um, recuperation in the hospital to get stabilized. And when they were ready to release her, she couldn't remember anybody to call to come get her. So she was assigned a, a practicing nurse who found my phone number on her refrigerator and called me. She was very, very abrupt and very not happy that any daughter would let her mother live in those conditions. I was living 3,000 miles away, speaking to my mother on the phone every morning, and she sounded perfectly normal. I visited once a year, and although her housekeeping had deteriorated, she wasn't living under the conditions that this home care uh, provider had described to me. So she had gone into a very rapid decline over uh, the last year from my last visit. And that was when I decided, or that was when I knew I had to take action. Wow. Um, so you decided to write this book and uh, to tell your mom's story, um, which is not normally a, a standard response, I would say, perhaps of someone going to uh, grief and uh, uh, having uh, this, this kind of, uh, of problems, uh, we tend to be very private. While uh, you decided uh, to share your, your journey and share your mom's uh, journey, what led you to write this, uh, this book? The reason I wrote the book was because I looked for a book just like this in the early stages of caring for my mother. I was, I was shocked by the conditions she was living in. I was mortified by her new behavior. She wasn't acting like the mother I knew. Um, she was paranoid, accusatory, erratic, and she took it all out on me, her youngest daughter. I, I was literally drowning, trying to understand and, how, and figure out how to um, communicate with my mother. So I went to the library and I started taking out books. This was 2012. We didn't really have a lot of access to the internet. There wasn't that plethora of information. And in the library books, I didn't find the stories I needed. I didn't find the early stages that one goes through that they seem normal. Then something happens and you think, no, something's not right. And I didn't have any access to advice. How, what do I do? So as I looked and looked for this kind of help, I started writing down all of the terrible, crazy stories that my mother was presenting to me. And within a very short period of time, maybe a year, I realized I had the beginnings of the very book that I was looking for that would maybe prepare the next person for this might happen with you and your mother or your father, your loved one. Uh, if it happens, take care to do this or be sure to check this out. That was what I was looking for and I couldn't find. So I really felt compelled to, to maybe arm somebody with 
these kinds of stories that they could use with their loved one. That's extremely brave and uh, encourages. And as I mentioned before, I mean, a lot of people tend to be very private on this uh, on this topic. So uh, it has probably taken a, a lot of uh, of strength on your side to to write it down. So it did. Can we start from from there and uh, um, trying to sort of define what dementia is? Because we all have, uh, I guess, some sort of idea uh, about what it is. But until perhaps you have to deal with that, you don't really realize what dementia and uh, titles do. So can we start from there? It's true. Dementia is an umbrella term. It's the overall definition of so many dementias. There's Alzheimer's, Lewy body, frontal temporal lobe, Parkinson's. Um, But dementia is the overall definition of basically a general term for a loss of memory, language, problem-solving skills, um, and other thinking abilities that are are severe enough to interfere with your daily life. That's probably the best way to describe it. So, as you said, it's an umbrella of different uh, possible diseases uh, in itself. So where are we in understanding these uh, diseases and, uh, for example, what could be the risk factors? I appreciate that you are not a doctor, but based on uh, your research and uh, your own experience, what do you feel? Where where are we? It's true. I've done so much reading over the course of caring for my mother and afterward writing my book. Um, and, And you're right, I'm not a neurologist. And I think that medically speaking, we're, we're far enough along to identify it, to categorize it, to put it into stages that are very helpful for somebody who's dealing with uh, caring for a loved one. They can, they can kind of figure out where their loved one is in the stages. What I, what I think we're really lacking in is how to care for our loved one, how to respond to those to those irregular, unusual behaviors that are not typical of the person who raised us or the person we married. They're they're not behaving the way we originally saw them. So I I think that's that's where the disconnect is. We don't have, we're not prepared. When it happens, it usually happens to somebody who doesn't have experience with it and they're basically thrown in, thrown into the fire, and it's, it's becoming their new daily reality. Yeah, that's very interesting. From what I understand, you end up realizing that there might be uh, an issue with dementia when perhaps it's uh, already well into the disease. So what are the early uh, signs that perhaps we should all uh, pay attention to and that may indicate that we are going towards uh, uh, a diagnosis of dementia. That's the scariest part of all. The early signs of dementia are often the exact same situations we find ourselves in, in a healthy person or ourselves. How many times have you lost your car keys? You've misplaced them. Uh, You're walking around looking for your reading glasses and they're up on top of your head. Um, how many times has, you know, the doorbell rung, your dog is barking, and you have something on the stovetop, and you lose 
your control. You, you get frustrated and uh, anxious. You know, these are all things that we deal with in life. So when you see your loved one behaving that way, it's so easy to say, oh, that's, she's having a bad day. He's, um, he's overwhelmed. Uh, he, had a, he had a tough day at work. So with those, with those um, key features, you know, repeating yourself, how many times have you said, oh, did I already tell you this story? You know, um, forgetting important events, you know, just a general confusion. When, when you see that in, in your loved one, you are put in the position of having to decide, is this something I should pay attention to? Or am I overreacting? Am I becoming bossy and getting involved in their life? Or do I just need to support them maybe and, you know, give them a, a night off? We're put in this very difficult decision-making process of, of should we get involved or shouldn't we? Yeah, uh, I, can, uh, I can understand uh, the, uh, the dilemma uh, when something as you said, appears so natural, so normal. Uh, everyone can, can do it. You also mentioned uh, before that there are different stages. So mm -hmm. based on your experience, what, what are these stages? And uh, again, are there specific things that we can look at? There are. Um, the Alzheimer's Association has it broken down into three stages. Um, very broad stages, you know, mild, medium, and extreme dementia. But there's another one that helped me uh, that I found, and it was seven stages. And for me, I needed to see them broken down a little bit more compartmentalized so that I could follow my mother through. Um, and I was able to do that with these seven stages, and I can't um, give them all exactly from memory, but it starts with stage one, which is basically just general aging and isn't considered a, a real part of the dementia until stage two in that forgetful stage. Um, and then a little bit more, it just progresses a little bit more advanced where um, decision-making becomes a challenge. And then re name recognition and language use these come along until you get to the very uh, last stage where motor skills are affected, simple swallowing, uh, movement. Uh, those, are, those are the stages of uh, stage seven. I appreciate that. Um, so what are the needs that people suffering of dementia may have? So thinking of, of your mom, for example, what does she need uh, in uh, all these, uh, these stages? You know, they, they, her needs changed as we progressed. And I remember being told, I, I went to a local Alzheimer's Association meeting. Actually, we, we had regular meetings every Thursday at noon, and I was there uh, beyond helpful. I, I can't recommend that enough for somebody who's, who's working on caring for a, a loved one. Find, find your local chapter and go to those meetings uh, just for the, you know, the camaraderie and to know that there are other people just like you in a very similar situation. But they told me that it would get easier as she progressed in her stages. And that seemed counterintuitive to me that it would actually get easier. But 
I found that the early stages are the hardest. They're the ones when your loved one is independent still and is fighting for their independence while at the same time exhibiting examples that they cannot be totally independent. And to find a way to help them without feeling overbearing, appearing like you're controlling their lives, appearing like you're taking something away from them. Simple things like paying their bills, shopping for them, maybe removing them from driving their car. These are things that most people hold on to dearly. They're not going to give them up readily. And the unfortunate caregiver has to find a way to inter intervene and, and get those needs met when their loved one isn't able to meet them on their own anymore. So from that very first phone call that you got when your mom started to exhibit some of these uh, behaviors, when did you start actually being more involved? How, how, how long did it take? What's interesting about that is the earliest stages of Alzheimer's can last for years. One article I read gave it between 10 and 20 years of virtually no symptoms. But that is when the changes are happening to the brain. The average person gets an inkling of it and they know something's happening to them, but most people don't mention that. They push it off as I'm having a bad day. I'm overworked. I am scattered today. So it can go on for years before it's disconcerting enough to make you pay attention. In my case, my mother was probably exhibiting those early signs for at least five years. I was saying, mom, you told me that. You've, you've said that three times in this conversation. Uh, and she would just you know, push it off and say, oh, oh, but it was funny. I, I just wanted to tell you that story again. They make up uh, excuses for their behaviors. Oh, I forgot your birthday. Sorry, I, I was so busy today. I had a church meeting. Um, what, it's Christmas already? Oh, I forgot to send my Christmas cards out. You know, little things like that, that it's, it's hard to, again, it's hard to put your finger on and say, something's happening to my loved one when they're all plausible excuses. Yeah, uh, I guess it's pretty scary. What, yeah. what lessons did you, did you learn from caring for your mom? For me, and I think some of these lessons were learned after, you know, during the course of finishing my book, looking back on writing about the situations that we found ourselves in. I think first and foremost, I have learned that it's not always important to be right. And I think that's something that you can carry on in your relationships with others. It, it doesn't have to be a loved one with dementia. When my mother told me somebody was coming into her house at night and moving her things around, I tried to reason with her that that couldn't possibly be so. But afterward, learning what I've learned about dementia, you don't have to be right. You don't have to reason with them. And you're most likely not going to help them see the light. Because at that point, they truly believe what it is they're seeing or perceiving about what's around them. And I learned that one of the very important things to do is to immerse yourself in that person's perspective, to try to help them by identifying with them and maybe diverting their attention because you know that somebody didn't break into your father's bank account 
But because he's certain of it, you need to empathize with him and maybe find a way to correct that opinion he has. How you do that is another, another task. But getting into their point of view and empathizing with them is, I think, a very, very important thing. Because when your loved one is at their worst and that they're, they're most frightened, they're most confused, things aren't right, that's when they lash out. That's when they come to you with their accusations and their, their thoughts that you are not who you say you are and that you're, you're, you have devious intentions toward them. These are common things that a person with dementia will do uh, to their caregiver. Those are the times that you most importantly need to step back and say, they need, they need my support right now. What can I do to make my loved one feel calmer today? Because they're not calm, they're upset, and they're looking to me for help, but they're lashing out while they're doing it. This is a very good tip but I can probably say that it's not the easiest thing to do. Despite loving, uh, obviously, uh, that person deeply, there is always uh, that dynamic when we, we deal with another person to reject basically something that is, uh, in our mind, is, uh, is impossible, right? So that, I think, it's, uh, it's an extremely good point. So for that, what sort of support did you have, also from an emotional point of view, i live in the small town of Bonners Ferry, Idaho, with a population of 2,500 people. It's almost impossible to go to the grocery store without running into half a dozen people you know. And for me, the support I received from my community was monumental. I would get a phone call anytime during the day saying, hey, I just saw your mother walking down the hill. She has two gallons of milk in her hand, hands, and um, I just saw somebody pick her up. I had my phone number on her keychain. It didn't hold her house keys because I was afraid that she was going to give them to somebody, but it did have my phone number. And I would receive a call from any random person saying, I just put your mother in the backseat of my car. She's walking down on this street and she flagged me down. So I pulled over and picked her up. These things were happening on a more and more frequent basis, which ultimately led me to having to decide to um, put her in an assisted living home. But during that course, the, the neighbors that checked in on her, uh, even the police, I had one policeman pull up one day and say, you know, your mother doesn't sleep at night. And I said, how do you know that? He said, on patrol, I drive by and your mother's windows are lit up at three in the morning and she's standing there looking out. And I, I remember that it broke my heart when he told me that. But at the same time, the fact that they were looking out for her, it was you know, amazing to me. I had my Alzheimer's Association meetings. Um, I even had my, my physician, my general physician, at uh, one point decide that it was time for me to try situational Prozac, <laughs> which I was on for six months during my my outbursts that I was having. Um, I could cry in any situation because I was just literally drowning. Yeah, I can, uh, I can imagine it's, uh, it's a tough situation. And it's nice to see, uh, as is happening in your case, that the whole community 
came together, you know, to, to support you and, uh, and your mom in, uh, in this journey. But definitely for, for people that are not so lucky and perhaps live in big cities uh, where it's more difficult to know uh, your neighbor, then I, I guess having a support, a professional support and a group that knows exactly what dementia uh, is and what entitles you, I think it's, uh, it's probably very important too, right? I would, I would advise anybody who's starting to go through this to do as much research on the front end as they can. Find that Alzheimer's Association meeting. Go to your church. Go to your library. Ask your physician. You're going to need help. And the sooner you have your A-team on your list, the better. This is a disease that you're, unfortunately, always going to be one step behind in. Trying to stay in front of someone who is slowly declining with dementia it is, I believe, an impossibility because everyone is different. Although there is a common denominator here, they will exhibit different behaviors and trying to predict those is an impossibility. Mm. It's interesting also what you're mentioning about the community that you had around. And from what you say to me, uh, it seems that everybody was very open to what was happening to, to your mom. Now, um, did you experience any stigma, for example, uh, around uh, dementia? Uh, I talk about mental health a lot, and uh, um, stigma around mental health is, uh, is still very, very heavy. So did you experience anything like this? Or perhaps it's more uh, accepted. It's funny. I think, I think you said it best. Um, I think people separate mental health with elderly mental health. And I think because my mother followed the typical steps of first becoming elderly and then getting dementia, I think it was sort of a hand-in-hand -hand acceptance. People think, oh, she's old. She has dementia. Now, there are early onset dementia cases, and I wonder myself how, how accepted those are. When someone sees a relatively young person and they're behaving in a way that is uh, dementia-related, you know, I think that it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to the average person, and maybe that's where sometimes the stigma exists. Mm. Karen, we had a conversation before uh, recording this episode, and uh, you mentioned that the latest uh, stages of uh, your mom uh, disease happened uh, after uh, the pandemic arrived. So what that meant to you and uh, how the pandemic has affected you? I was one of the lucky ones in that I got the phone call while I was in Florida that my mother had had a stroke that morning, the week that COVID was being announced. And I booked a flight that got canceled and rescheduled five times. When I finally got on my flight to Idaho from Florida, it was a 747 airplane with 12 people on it. It, it looked like a scene from, you know, Alfred Hitchcock's movie. Um, when I landed, we were told that we, I could see my mother, but that she was in a quarantined room. And when I got there, 
I was told that I would not be able to come back. What I ended up doing was I refused to leave her room because I couldn't, I couldn't not come back. And I spent the next 72 hours in her room with her. And I was lucky enough to help her leave. So many people have stories that they weren't able to see their parent and they lost them during the pandemic without being able to be with them. And that's just heartbreaking to me. And I remember talking to people who couldn't visit their parents for a year while healthcare facilities were trying to figure out how to contain this, how to not let it spread. They were charged with the safety of their residents which also included separating them from their loved ones in the last years of their lives. I, I, I can't imagine being put in that position. It must be very, very difficult. And we, we have been talking about dementia and the impact on the person going through that. But obviously the cost that you paid as a caregiver uh, has always uh, also been very, uh, very big. You mentioned already also that you had to be on Prozac for a certain period of time. So, I mean, th this is a very high price uh, for people and uh, uh, we often forget about the caregivers and they, what they do actually in, uh, during that, that time. What it meant for you emotionally and uh, psychologically? For me, it had to be very big for me to accept that. I, um, I don't take an aspirin. So when my physician suggested it, I immediately put my hand up and said, no, 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 that's, that's not for me. Uh, by the end of our appointment, I had my prescription in my hand and I went to the pharmacy and I took two. <laughs> it, was, it was that bad for me. Um, I hid it in my drawer like... It was my embarrassment. It was something I didn't tell people. Yet I clung to it like it was a lifeline for those six months. Um, it was something that just helped me with my outbursts. Um, you know, the embarrassment of going into the post office and having somebody ask about my mother and have it become a full-on crying jag in front of everyone. That was happening to me on a regular basis. So for me, like I said, it had to be very, very bad for me to accept something like that. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, Caroline, um, many, many years ago, I, I lost my, my dad to, to cancer. And at the time, uh, my mother was the main caregiver. Uh, I remember my sister and I were in, in our teens. And there were times when I remember thinking, oh, you know, I want a normal family. I want a normal life. And then a second later, thinking, but I have a normal family. I have a normal life. It's just with a big health issue, a big health problem. But despite that, decades later, I'm still dealing with the sense of guilt for everything that I, I said or I thought at that time. Did you ever experience something like that? Did you have, ever have that moment when you say, you know what, uh, I want a different life. I want to, a break from this one, maybe even five minutes. Throughout my whole book, it's woven with stories of my guilt. And originally when I was asked what I wanted the reader to take away from this book was 
for one, one instance to, to forgive themselves for the feelings that I know they're going to have because it's normal to have these feelings. When I was told by any different person, oh, you're such a good daughter. You're doing such a wonderful thing for your mother. I would stand there and not know how to react because in my heart, I did not feel like a good daughter. I wanted to cover my mouth and not say what was truly happening in my mind because I didn't love my mother during times that she was so unlovable. I showed up and I took care of things for her. I made sure she was clothed and fed and housed and cared for. But there were so many times I did that out of a sense of obligation when people around me said, oh, you love your mother so much. And I, and I truly felt like a fraud. And the guilt that came with that was like a heavy, wet coat that I woke up in the morning and put on and I went through the day with and could not take it off. It, it was as if I was sure people could see that that was not really my true self. So how do you deal with, with that? You mentioned a word that uh, for me and uh, for this podcast is uh, extremely important, uh, which is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And, uh, you know, I always say forgive and thrive uh, has been my roadmap uh, to, to come back to life. What, what yeah. was your roadmap? I think that this isn't something you should try to do on your own. And maybe, maybe nothing is, you know, the, the, the process of forgiveness, I think sometimes comes best when you share it. When you find someone or a group of people that you feel safe with, that you can talk to and you can identify with, and maybe hear them say, oh, I felt that too. You know, or I, I did that too. I said that, I responded that way to my loved one, and I can't believe I did that. When you can find that tribe to, to share that with, I think that that is your road to forgiveness. That was my road. And that's why I wrote the book, so that you can open the pages and say, oh, she did that too. I, I can't believe I'm not the only one who, who felt that way, who responded that way, I cannot tell you how many do-overs I had in my book or in my life with my mother rather that I, I had to try it a different way because the first way I tried it was wrong. The second way I responded was wrong until I could find a way to bring her peace. And sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I couldn't find a way to bring her peace. And those were the days that I felt like the biggest failure of all. So how do you do it? You, I think you find your, find your tribe and share, share with them. But just remember the fact that you showed up is the biggest gift of all. It's very interesting what you're, what you're saying is that sharing to normalize even that sense of guilt. It's, it's okay to, to feel it. It's okay to feel exhausted at times. It's okay to... But we, we don't, do we? We don't share it because it's embarrassing. It's the thing you don't want to admit to sometimes even your, your closest friend, your, your partner, because these are thoughts and feelings that are uncomfortable to you. They're not pretty. They're, 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 not, they're not good. 
I suppose that as a society, we are uh, we learn very early on that we have to be strong all the time. That we cannot, you know, even for just for a second, appear that we don't have that strength, you know, to to face whatever we are facing. Um, so I, I think it's uh, it's extremely important the message that you are uh, giving us today, uh, or sharing and normalizing even these uh, these moments. Um, so. Thinking about all the caregivers of people with dementia or any other illness, what sort of advice would you give to them to take care of themselves? Because in that moment, I think uh, when you think about taking care of someone else, you are the least of the priorities. You are not even probably in that priority list. So what advice would you give to them? And it's such a it's such difficult advice to give, isn't it? Because the first thing you think of is, oh, take a bubble bath. <laughs> you know, take some time for yourself and read a book. And and when you're in the trenches, you 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 know that that's not going to help you. You know that that's not enough, and you also don't have that luxury of time to give yourself. So I think for me, to care for the caregiver. It would have been it would have been emotionally for me. I felt most cared for when I was sharing, when I was in that group, when I was having somebody say, Carolyn, you're a good daughter. No matter how you feel right now, you, you did the right thing. You're doing the right thing. When you hear those words from somebody, I think it, it energizes you and it breathes a, a new breath in. For me, it was, it was to find, find my tribe and commiserate with them, you know, however you want to call that. Share. Share that message. Uh, I, I totally un understand uh, and agree with you. Uh, it, it's so important to find your people, to find your tribe that can support you in that moment and understand what you are going through. Because that's mm -hmm. the, other, the other thing. Uh, a lot of uh, people might not be able to understand where you are coming from because they're not, they're not experiencing the same situation. So I absolutely love uh, your message. Karen, you wrote so this book and it has been published only recently, uh, if I understand correctly, but it has been very well received. First of all, did you expect such a, a reception? I hoped for it, but I didn't expect it. And as I started getting feedback, and emails from people who read who read my book i i told my fiance john this is really happening this is this is actually a book that is going to help people and i'm getting the same response from everybody and it's from people who may not even have a, a loved one with dementia i'm getting people who are saying i'm using this and this in my relationship with my friend who I'm having difficulty with, or I just feel so much lighter after having read this book, um, things I wasn't expecting. So what makes you uh, the proudest for having told the world this story? Proudest from the people that are saying to me, I, I thought I was the only one. I, I've heard that more than one time. I, I, was, I was alone. And I had no idea that somebody else felt this way. And now I feel more normal. And then maybe they can forgive themselves. And maybe they can not suffer the guilt. Because in the end, 
your loved one is going to be gone and you're not going to have the opportunity for a do-over. You're not going to have the opportunity to say to them one more time how much you love them because that, that chance is gone. If you can find a way during the whole process, during those years that they're suffering from dementia, to find a way to give them peace, the rewards are exponential. I absolutely love that. Caroline, I have a question, and uh, you may decide not to answer. It's uh, a bit personal, but uh, absolutely no problem. Is there anything that you would have loved to say to your mom that you didn't manage to solve? I have lots of things that I didn't find the courage or, or the time and that I regret I haven't said. And I was wondering if you experienced something similar. I think that I got the opportunity to do it while I was in her room and helping her leave. In the end, she struggled. And I received a text from my ex-husband, Sam, who said, tell her it's okay to go. And I thought, I don't think I can do that because it goes against everything for me to say to my mother, go ahead and die. I, I, I couldn't feel good with it. So I found a different way and I started telling her stories about bringing me up and raising me and all of the things she instilled in me and how she was such a wonderful mother. And I, I got that opportunity to say that one thing before my mother died as I was holding her hand and, and encouraging her to leave. And, and that was, it, it's going to be okay, mom. You were here for me and were the best mom ever. And I was so thankful that I got to say that to her before she left. It is such a beautiful, beautiful message. Because sometimes we, when we are in that moment, we, we struggle. It's, it's difficult to, to find the words. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I have many regrets in, in, in that respect. So I really uh, appreciate uh, this, uh, this contribution today, but also the, the fact that you found your own strength and, and, and way to tell your, your mom. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's very nice for you. So what are you planning now for, for this book? Um, how are you going to spread even further this, uh, uh, this story and uh, this, this work that you and your mom took together? Well, talking to people like you on podcasts, um, I'm having great fun with that. Um, I am going to be doing book signings. Uh, we're planning several trips and book signing along the way, which is just so much fun for me. Um, I have a website and my Facebook page. So I, I do a lot of social media, interacting with people that way. And my Amazon page is, it's just growing with my reviews. So I'm watching that happen. So I think it's just kind of happening uh, without me knowing how to move it forward. It's moving forward. It's going on uh, on its own. Would you write another book? It's so funny that you ask that. Um, I would. A totally different story that I 
don't know will ever make it out, but um, I'm adopted. And I have a very, a very interesting uh, story about that whole, that whole process. So that's something that I've, I've always played around with in the back of my mind. Well, uh, I think that that will be another interesting story really to, to publish because uh, a lot of people might uh, go through the same sort of uh, process and might have uh, their own uh, demons uh, Absolutely. To, to face. So another very, very useful uh, book uh, perhaps on, uh, in the pipeline. So I really, I really love that. Caroline, um, if people would like to, you mentioned your website, but would like to know uh, more about you and following on, so, on social media. So uh, can we give uh, this information? Absolutely. You can find me online at www.carolynbureau.com. Or you can just type Walking with Faye in your Google search bar or whatever search engine you use, and you'll find me that way. Fantastic. So we will put all the links in the description of Thank the you. episode so people can just uh, check you and, uh, and see for, uh, for themselves uh, this, uh, this book. Thank so you. So before going, if there was one take-home message that you would like to, uh, to have from uh, this conversation, you will have all the listeners to remember what that would be. Mm. It would be and right in line with your podcast, is always show up. The fact that you showed up beats everything. It beats your mistakes. It beats your bad reaction to something. The fact that you showed up, forgive yourself. At the end of the day, repeat. I messed up today, but I showed up, and tomorrow is a new day. If you can do that, I think you're you're one step ahead. Wow, that's absolutely beautiful. Well, I hope that this episode has provided food for thoughts on what it means caring for someone who you love dearly in their journey through dementia and that you benefit from the tips and advices that Caroline has provided to us. I wanted to leave you with a couple of quotes today. The first is from author Wendy Mitchell who said, Never make dementia a secret. There should be no shame. Why feel ashamed of having a complex brain disease? People are afraid to talk about it. And that reminds me of what Caroline has said just before. And the second is from Karen Wilder, uh, Jim Wilder's wife, who cared for him through his journey. And Karen Wilder said, it's a strange, sad irony that so often in the territory of a disease, that robs an individual of memory, caregivers are often the forgotten. And remembering all the uh, caregivers of dementia and any other uh, disease, uh, I would like to thank you, Carolyn, for coming on uh, the Forgiven Drive show and telling us your story, accepting all the questions, even the, the tricky ones. Uh, I really appreciated that. Uh, and thank you for the, the message that you are spreading. Uh, I'm pretty sure that your book uh, will help many, many people. Thank you. Oh, it was an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So we would like to know what you think about this topic and uh, it, are there uh, specific challenges that perhaps you are facing while caregiving 
for someone uh, with dementia that we didn't really address today? If so, let me know. Uh, also, don't forget to check Karen's website to follow her on social media and uh, to check her inspiring book. You can find all the links in the description of today's episode. If you have been affected in any way by the topic we discussed today, as always, I invite you to seek professional help. Join me next time when we will continue exploring inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Remember, forgiveness is like a muscle. The more you practice, the stronger and more effective it becomes. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button below. If you know anybody who could benefit from the topics discussed in this show, do some good and share the link with them. If you have a story that you want to share with us, comments or suggestions on topics you would like to be explored, send me an email at forgiventrive at gmail.com. Reviews will also be very much appreciated. And with this, it's a wrap. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.